On today's episode, we head back into Anne Rice's Immortal Universe with AMC's new supernatural horror, Mayfair Witches. The first episode, which aired Sunday night, is titled The Witching Hour, runs 52 minutes, and stars Alexandra Daddario as the main character. On this podcast, we review the latest installment of a different series every show. It's January 10th, and you're listening to today's episode. To get this out of the way, just like with Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles when we did the pilot to interview with a vampire, neither of us have read the books that this show is based on, the Lives of the Mayfair Witches trilogy series. So we're not going to give any spoilers away, that's a good thing, but also anybody who has strong feelings about how the characters are represented, like I did when we did the Will Trent podcast and I had just read the book, um, we're not going to be judging based on any of the book stuff. We'll just be basing it off whether or not this made good television. I'm surprised to hear that interview with a vampire takes place in the same universe as this because they just feel like completely different shows. There are similar themes, but when it comes to either the tone or even the characters, it seems like one kind of goes to the maximum extent mm-hmm. of an interview with a vampire just being completely violent. Well, Mayfair Witches, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it seems to be kind of tame. I, I agree with you. These feel like very separate shows Interview with a Vampire probably wouldn't even have made my comparison list if not for the fact that Anne Rice also wrote it. Um, But we'll get more into that. I wanted to talk about the episode title first, The Witching Hour. It's actually the same title as the first book that she wrote in the series. But also, do you know when The Witching Hour is? No, I would guess like 12 o'clock, right? You should know when The Witching Hour is because it's just another term for The Devil's Hour. And we reviewed that show just a couple months back. And you asked me that same question. You said, do you know when the devil's hour is? And I did because it was said in that show. This one does not say when the witching hour is in the show. It's about 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. I know, I know they say the witching hour whenever you're looking at NFL red zone. It's like when wins become losses. That's like, oh, that's what they say? Yeah. Yeah. I just find it funny that there have been two shows that have come out really recently that both share that same title, even though this is just the episode title. The expectation that you come into with this is to compare it to, like I said, Interview with a Vampire, but the majority of the episode here faces on the present, while that show, the majority of it was in the past. Mm -hmm. And they do both have two main characters, but in this show, they're two generations apart. And so we're going to talk about them separately, even though in the show they intertwine the stories, that would be really difficult. I think we should just jump right into the synopsis. And do you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. So Rowan, she is a successful surgeon. Uh, and the first thing we see of her, she is about to be going into a scheduled surgery. Yeah, Dr. Rowan Fielding, young neurosurgeon, lives on a boat mm-hmm. prepping for surgery on a kid with some tangled blood vessels in his brain. It's called arteriovenous malformation. I had never heard of AVM before, but apparently it's pretty rare. And she is the doctor to know exactly what's going she on. She walks in. She's ready to do the surgery. She walks into the OR room. But she's condescended by the chief surgeon because the board is watching. The, and the it's, chief it's surgeon is too the, scared. I don't, is it the chief surgeon or the chief of medicine? I think it's the chief of medicine. And it's, it's her boss for sure, Dr. Keck. And he's decided to instead do the performance of the surgery in front of the entire board but like he's plainly driven by ego here right like what what is the thing that's driving him? oh no it's it was narcissism ego. it was absolutely right? yeah just, he was very condescending to pride what, whatever you want it reminded me a little bit of dr death because it was like are you gonna kill this kid right now because of your stupid pride and it also reminded me of dick van dyke's uh, run on scrubs 
when he came in there. <laughs> and, and he, he like, was, chose to do the more dangerous surgery or well, something, he was, right? Well, he was old in his ways, and he hadn't been keeping up with it. And so by the end of the episode, they were asking him to retire. Um, but this guy, yeah, he clearly doesn't seem like he's up to the task. However, I have to knock the show. This is the first knock that I have on it. Rowan calls out not her colleague as a doctor, but the main leader of the hospital in front of everyone. I know she's whispering, but everyone in the observation room is very important. You've got the board, you've got Mr. Moneybags himself, Daniel Lemley, <laughs> who comes into play later on, and you've also got your entire staff that he leads. And to not pull him aside and take him out of the room, of course he's going to be upset with you. Of course he's not going to be willing to help you out later on. I know what they're trying to do here is to show that she's a really good doctor, but I think it backfires. That's I mean, like personal. you're saying, you're saying that this won't actually take place in a real... No, I'm saying if it did take place, that that doctor, the chief of medicine, would have a right to be really upset with being shown up by a younger colleague. Right. Like, I just don't think that that would... I don't think it was an effective way of showing Rowan to be that smart, you know? I can, yeah, I, I can understand that. She walks out after the surgery because they are able to actually save the kid. Yeah, they do save the kid. <laughs> um, but she sees her mother, Elena, her, her adoptive mother, Elena, and uh, apparently her cancer has returned. Yes, her cancer has, or she's relapsed and her cancer's returned. The silver lining, though, is that the Daniel Lemley guy, the one who, the Mr. Moneybags, mm -hmm. I call them, is running a stem cell trial that Rowan thinks that Elena would be great for, right? Mm -hmm. A great yeah. candidate. But the problem is she works for the hospital and Rowan thinks that she needs to go work for Daniel Lemley in order for him to allow her mom onto the trial. So what does she do? She does what every concerned kid would do for their parents. She goes to her boss, the same guy who she just uh, made a fool of in the operating room, asks for his help. And when he says no, she murders him artery is ruptured and we see it up close and personal yep tech is dead <laughs> we, we see him like burrow into his brain what did you think of that like house layover because it, it was almost like the intro of house they did it they did it more than just once in this episode and it was just very odd to see but like one don't once you sorry what? don't you remember in house when they would like go into diagnose an issue and then you would see them go into the body and like go through the veins and stuff and i didn't watch that like, i didn't watch that much house okay i thought it was just a callback to that but, but yeah no when, when Heck died then we go into the intro and automatically i was like okay this is obviously making me curious what is because this is something what do you think of the did. intro the intro itself yes because it was like wallpaper degrading right yeah basically it reminded me of haunting a hill house in fact you have annabeth gish in this show from haunting of hill house well, who as did she well. play in haunting of hill house no in this Deirdre, the older. Deirdre. Yeah, the, the older. I'm not going to be able to say the name. Okay. But, the, but yeah, no, I, I liked it. And so I was really wanting to see where the story was going to go after that. Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to continue on Rowan's story right, for because, now. Yes. And then we'll jump to Deirdre's. The second knock that I have for this show is that Rowan in the next scene is at her mom's chemo. Mm -hmm. And Elena is trying to convince Rowan that she couldn't have uh, given Dr. Keck an aneurysm. Right. right. As if it just happened. Her mom was just diagnosed in the last scene. Suddenly, she's having chemo now. Yeah, it was very fast. Th that is this one knock This conversation I well. would have happened weeks earlier. It takes weeks to schedule this stuff and to actually have your treatment underway. I like the future storyline more than the past storyline, but the future storyline, one of my biggest problems just with the show overall was how fast that future storyline, like... Yeah, the mom like, went from diagnosis crazy. to chemo to, by the end, she's dead. Yes. And, and it felt like Rowan's story arc or, like, her conversations had trailed a couple days worth of conversation so that part kind of jarred me 
The other thing is that Rowan is definitely like figuring out that this has to do with her genetics. And so she wants to know what's happening to her. She wants to find out who her birth parents is. And because she knows she's adopted, but uh, Elena is pushing back saying it was a closed adoption. And if she wants to learn anything, she should take a 23andMe, which I think she should, because how how cool would it be if she took a 23andMe and all of it was just Salem, 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 <laughs> Salem? <laughs> I I actually like this scene because, uh, yeah, I, at first I was like, oh, no, like Elena is going to be like, you didn't cause this and it's going to take forever for her to realize that she actually did. But the second that Rowan leaves, that's when Elena gets on the phone and like holds this weird agency and is like, I think my, my daughter might have killed someone. And I'm like, oh, OK, she's in on it. So it kind of like. She Calls, my expectations. She calls Mad-Eye Moody. Like, the lady has that crazy <laughs> eye, and uh, it's New Orleans that she's calling, and she finds out that the agent in charge of her daughter's case, because she already knows that her daughter is a witch, um, is Cyprian Grieve. And we don't actually get to see him until a later scene, but when we do get a sense of who he is, he can see spirits and stuff by touching things. Like, he can see the past and spirits, and he also is going to be responsible for Rowan's case if anything happens to guess, Elena. If we can just, like, go to that scene really fast... I <laughs> the CGI for it looked awful. It looked terrible. You and mean I when felt, he touched the uh, fence? Yes. Yeah, and, and he's like able to see the past or he's whatever. He's able to see Deirdre almost jumping out the window and then Lasher, Lasher um, like stopping her. Or and also, I'm sure he's going to be in the series a lot more, but it felt like they just threw that scene in there to be like, yes, he's a character that you should know right now. I, I wasn't, I did not like the scene. I got a couple scenes like that. Like we skipped over the one where after the surgery, she uh, Rowan talks to one of her colleagues and gives her like a pep talk mm -hmm. and then later on when she has like a one night stand with a bar like it felt like those were super superfluous yes but just, it, they also felt like they didn't the, it made the storyline kind of irrelevant maybe I they were care. part of the book and it just it needed to be said or maybe it was set up for later on but they don't actually have anything to do with the main story yes so rowan ends up heading off to work at uh ravinia research with daniel lemley and how would you describe Daniel? He seems like the bad guy in a Marvel movie. Yeah, he's pretentious. He's showboaty. He gives a speech at the beginning to some donors about finding the cure for aging. That's very evil Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like let the right one in. Remember, they had a drug company that was yeah. working there. Also Avatar, because remember, they were also seeking uh, to keep uh, life a, a lot of different mixes. It seemed like at first, at least to me, he was going to be kind of a cool character. But as the scene progresses, it's like, no, this guy is a straight up antagonist. When did that like it, there was a specific moment? moment where i was just like yes there's no redeeming this character well there was two moments for me one is when he just decides to piss in front of her yes like, but, but not just that he then turns to her he's in his office and he just doesn't close the door to his bathroom but then he doesn't wash his hands and then he hands her a tablet and it's like she's a doctor and you're it's just so gross and so yeah as soon as he did that i was like okay he's definitely a villain well yeah and then and then very shortly after that he says to her pick a name pick a name off of these 30 people that uh he doesn't say this part but that we're going to be for the stem cell trial research he does say that part but he also makes it very clear that he's going to hire her but the stipulation is that if she wants her mom to get in this trial, then she's going to have to kick off someone who's previously been admitted into it. And Rowan feels really guarded. She does what any reasonable person would do. She tells him to fuck off. She calls him a small little man um, for using the urinal <laughs> in front of her and then uh, not washing his hands. And then she kills him. 
You know, yeah. <laughs> like everyone else would do. <laughs> she didn't mean to kill him. She though. did though. That time she said she did because she runs off to her mom afterwards, and she's like, she at this point she's like full blown Star Wars complex because she's who am I? Where am I from? Am I good or evil? <laughs> and once again, Star once Wars again, thing. Elena is just like she's at this point homebound. Like you can see her like condition get worse and worse and worse throughout the episode. Yeah, I mean, she tells her daughter, "Stop doing this." Like I don't want see you to my go- final days with nonsense. Basically, I mean, yeah, it's pretty mean. But then she dies. And that's that's kind of the end of that that's whole storyline. Her, yeah, her storyline. We can jump over to Deirdre's now. And this takes place, we learn, in the past. Also, it was pretty obvious because they didn't have cell phones. And, and at this point, you can kind of gauge when uh, a show is trying to do something like this. She lives with her terrible aunts in this, like, very mystic mansion. And but can, she's not like Cinderella, though. She's not living with, like, her aunts aren't just beating her or anything. They're just very strict. They're very sheltered and overbearing. Maybe. And she continually sees a man named Lash. I like Lasher. I think Lasher's a cool character. Do you now? I mean, like, he's I obviously he's the villain. Supposed, yes, he's supposed to be villain. I'm not guy. saying that he's someone I'd actually want to meet. I'm saying that the actor who plays him I thought was good. He's he's from American Hustle, so you may have seen him in that. Maybe. Um, but, yeah, the twist is that we know that Deirdre is a witch because she's part of the Mayfair family. Um, but the Mayfairs are pretty close with Father Duffy, so they're, like, into the religious thing. So I'm not sure how that works. Lasher is there. He hangs out sort of like an imaginary friend who isn't so imaginary. He's kind of like the devil on her shoulder, and he convinces Deirdre when she, on one of these days that she's kind of bored, that she should go to a party, you know, at Uncle Cortland's one night. And I have Uncle to say, Cortland, Uncle Cortland, uh, he's obviously supposed to be crazy. He he reminded me of Mehmet Oz. His look, he looked almost like he, he reminded <laughs> discount me. Mehmet Oz. Oh, yeah. No, I can see what you're saying. Harry Hamlin or whatever. Um, the, the other person that he reminded me of was George Hodel when they showed him in I Am the Night. Um, that was that movie with, or sorry, that was that show with Chris Pine about the, uh, the murders, the Black Dahlia murders. murders. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Black yeah, Dahlia yeah, murders. Yeah. And he would throw these outrageous, luxurious, extravagant parties. The other party it reminded me of is when you were talking about the Batman Harley Quinn party where they had the masks uh-huh. and, uh, Gordon only recognized <laughs> Batman from, or, uh, what's his face? Bruce Wayne from the mask down. Cause they did have those masks here. Anyways. Deirdre gets wasted, meets a guy named Patrick. They have sex. Patrick turns into a demon halfway through. I did not like seeing the hand. And then he... (laughs) (laughs) The hand with the claws? Yes. Yeah. And then he's dead by the morning. And we don't get any more Patrick, but Deirdre's pregnant. We had two sex scenes that were very close together in this show. You had the bartender and then you had the backlash scene. I wasn't going to say anything, but in Daddario's scene, it was very clear that she didn't want to do a nude scene. So she wore like a shirt. And in the next one, it was like the younger actress was like, okay, I don't have a problem with showing nudity. It was weird. But yeah, so despite the priest's best effort and the aunt's best efforts to stop Deirdre from doing anything crazy, she attempts to kill herself um, by jumping off of a canopy. This this is the part where I was like, okay, interview with a vampire. Absolutely. Reminded me of the scene. And she doesn't actually do it like in the pilot of interview oh, with a vampire. Right. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's like it seems like there's always a character that's about to step off of a roof and like jump to death yeah. for the good of something. And then Lasher uses his powers to kind of push her back and says, you should marry me instead. You take this necklace and I will be bound to you and you will be bound to me. And then she takes the necklace, puts it on, and then he calls her her witch. She goes into labor. And then the ant, though. Well, not only that, we also see him, like, transform into, like, venomous creatures when she takes off the necklace because he's, like, showing her a true form or whatever. He's definitely shown that he is a demon. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there is no good in this guy. He's going to be bad news for the rest of the time. So she puts the necklace on, and then she goes into labor. And then the ant steals the baby, Handmaid's Tale style, and gives it to, uh, well, I think it was the right move. 
move, honestly. I think that if uh, Deirdre had been uh, in charge of Rowan from birth, then we could have been dealing with worse scenarios. So um, the Mayfair, Elena, we find out, is actually a Mayfair, but she, like, renounces her name, and then she takes the baby, and she goes off to raise so it somewhere she, else. So is she, this is what I was trying to understand, the sister of Deirdre? Deirdre is not the no. I think she was like a cousin. Okay, yeah, because she says aunt. Um, she says aunt when she takes the baby. I think everybody her. refers to her as Aunt Corlotta. But um, then we get a flash forward, right? Deirdre is now very old. We did see this scene at the very beginning, and we didn't talk about it. But she's very old, and she's in sort of a catatonic state. And yes, there's this sort new- of. It's completely catatonic. She she cannot speak at all. She can't even blink. It seems like yeah. But, but she wants or the nurse wants her to get her Thorazine, and the doctor who's new and is doing house visits, he shows up and he, Thorazine is used for schizophrenia, which makes sense because she'd be talking to a demon all the time and also for intractable hiccups, but I don't think that was her issue. (laughs) And so the doctor, no doctor in their right mind would do this, by the way, would go cold turkey on a patient that wasn't even like mentally aware enough to to do anything about it. Yeah, so he doesn't wean her off. He's just like, I'm not going to give you any of this for a really long time and just see what happens to you. And I'm like, wow, you would lose your license like that. He also takes off the necklace. Yeah, he does take off the because, necklace. But that's because he saw that, like, there were scars on her body, meaning that she obviously had been trying to take it off as well. And it's like, I'll just put this in your pocket. Obviously, this is bad news now for uh, for Rowan. It releases the spirit of Lasher. The last scene is Rowan wakes up on a boat. She's, it's a she's rain, in the middle of the ocean, there's too. There's a rainstorm. Yeah, that's She's not on. even, like, pitched to the dock anymore. <laughs> she's just out in the ocean ocean and then like lasher and outside. through through the window yeah lasher stares at her and that's where the episode ends yeah aside from a short little thing where they talk about how they made the episode like always <laughs> <laughs> yeah altogether it was an hour but just the actual episode was 52 minutes I remember when we did the Copenhagen uh, Cowboy podcast a couple days ago, I complimented it on limiting the dialogue to what was necessary. And if there's a reversal to that, it would be this show. There's a lot of clunkiness that like when Rowan is speaking to Elena, when Elena is sick and she says something along the lines of, I would like to know what I came from. How would she know it? What not not where I came from or who I came from, but what? <laughs> so she like expects it to be a mysterious being. Like there's no cause for her to have made that jump. And then the bartender scene, um, when she starts going off about true love, like he's like, I want to find someone to be with, you know. And she's mm-hmm. like, I can understand that. I know about fantasizing true love. My shadow when I was a kid was a dude I used to flirt with. And the do- and the bartender then responded with, Oh, you get it then. And it was like he didn't even have any. Follow-up questions to that. That was that was really weird. Um, also, Lasher, the way he speaks, I know he, you said he liked his character, but... Well, it's olden times. He was like I mean. Malcolm in the Middle, the, the friend that Malcolm in the Middle had, because this is how he delivered his lines. I wrote it down at one point. He was like, I will show you. I will show you who I really am. And if you're strong enough to face this, I will be yours entirely. Yours to command. Like, he would take these giant <laughs> pauses in between every single sentiment that he would say, and they would usually just be very repetitive, and I found it very funny. Despite your examples, I actually didn't. That, that never occurred to me really at all, but I understand what you're saying. I was saying. like, get to the point, uh, Mr. Demon Dude. My comparisons for the show, I'll say really fast, are X-Files, um, 
particularly I think season 10 or whenever they came back because much like um Rowan in like one of the episodes Kumail Nanjiani plays a character of like a or there's some type of alien that can't control when he turns into an alien and, sure. and her like killing people but not like meaning to that kind of reminded me of that and that's definitely the overarching theme of the entire uh, season is whether or not she's going to be able to control whether or not she's good or evil yeah and then also you have American Horror Story uh, I think that's kind of obvious just tone wise and then like any vampire show i just pick him like yeah. but you can choose anything but they're not vampires just lasher might be sort That's of it he kind of has powers like a vampire but he's he's everybody else is not they do mention mayfair which is in the interview with the vampire uh episode that we watched but the uh, comparisons i have to add on to yours are hellstrom um that was like a demon show we did a really long time ago and then a little bit like 10 percent dangerous liaisons it's definitely not as bad as that show but there's like 10 percent quality of of word choice and dialogue in that um, the other thing is the Devil's Hour. I'll bring it back to that because, ironically, they have a similar family, familial lineage thing. Um, remember, the mom was nearly ca- catatonic in that as well. Yeah. And we saw a backflash to her where there were, like, strange superpowers going on. Um, that, that And I think the the Devil's Hour lady, she her power was more along the lines of touching things and, like, Cyprian's here where he touches something and he can see the past. Other than that, though, this didn't really feel like too much of a pilot to me. Like, they did introduce some characters, but altogether, the world wasn't really built, and it was... I don't know. It just I, didn't feel the same as, like, normal pilots did. I enjoyed the first 30 minutes because I felt like the story was going somewhere. But, like, I could kind of see where the story was going, which is why, like, the last 20 or 30 minutes I felt were, like, really slow. And also, I mean, I like the acting and everything, but the acting and cinematography isn't going to be able to save a show if the story just isn't that good. That's why I overall. I didn't even find the cinematography that great. But the, did you find that it was modernized um, too much or just enough with the mentions of, like, Uber? and Minecraft clearly those weren't a part of the <laughs> original story uh, yeah I mean I, I didn't pay attention to modernization I saw that this took place in Louisiana as well so not only the same universe but also the same place as Interview with a Vampire sure. New Orleans, New Orleans. Um, but it, the half of the storyline did yes. the other half did not yes. uh, overall I just give the episode a 5 I mean it has potential but I don't think I'm going to watch the rest of it and it definitely didn't grip me in the ways that like Interview with a Vampire did I was also going to give it a 5 if it was a little bit better it may have passed but I don't think i can recommend it dr strange did it remind you of that at all because of how he got his powers or actually how got powers? actually i was gonna say the beginning scene of dr strange and like her coming into the or room in the beginning scene looks similar but i know i didn't think about the powers in that way all right uh michelle ashford and esther spalding those are the show creators they also wrote the first episode they're the ones in charge and overall it's gotten Mixed reviews, you know, some good, some bad, mostly mediocre. Does it have an IMDb or a Rotten Tomato score? Yeah, I mean, like, as far as Rotten Tomatoes, it's pretty low. But with IMDb, I think it's like 6.8 right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it'll get another season, but AMC has been canceling a lot of shows of late. I know that. So it would be really, it would have to do something pretty impressive by the end of this eight episodes to, I think, uh, be worthy of that. And to gain the audience attention. I think that'll do it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye.